need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 167 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host, Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregivers. Our topic today is who should own our electronic medical records? Back in the days when hospitals and doctors' records were paper or x-ray film, patients seemed to accept that the hospitals and the doctors owned the records. But now that hospital and doctors' records are electronic and therefore potentially accessible anywhere, there is internet access, the question of ownership is attracting discussion. And the discussion involves, among other things, the question of privacy, who should and should not have access to the electronic medical records of identifiable individuals. Now, all of these and other questions are why our topic today, who should own our electronic medical records, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. Susan is Vice President for Advocacy at CARP, the national, non-partisan, non-profit organization committed to advocating for social change that will bring financial security, equitable access to health care, and freedom from discrimination for all Canadians as we age. Under her leadership... CARP Advocacy has helped shape the public discourse on key issues such as pension reform, investor protection, mandatory retirement, workplace age discrimination, home care and age-friendly cities. Increasingly, CARP has become a trusted source of public policy input at all levels of government and the media. And in 2012, Susan was named one of the Hill Times top 100 lobbyists. Jeff is the Chief Privacy Officer for Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, a 10,000-plus employee acute care research and teaching hospital in Toronto. He's a Director and Chief Privacy Officer in the Hospital's Information Services Group, which is responsible for information privacy assurance, freedom of information compliance, IT risk management, and corporate strategic planning. He's also the Privacy and Security Officer for the Hospital Diagnostic Repository Services in Ontario. This is a diagnostic imaging repository for 35 hospitals across four local health regions. Jeff holds a degree in economics, an MBA from the University of Toronto, and an MSc from the University of Reading, UK, where he is currently a doctoral candidate in information security research. My chart is Sunnybrook's award-winning personal health record system, currently with over 12,000 patients and non-patient users. So welcome to the show, Susan and Jeff. Nice to Thank be here. you. 
Now, Susan, I'd like to start with you first, please. Please, would you tell us more about your personal background as a lawyer and about any experience you have with family caregiving? Susan? Well, it's an interesting thing. In all of my work, I've always recalled my training as a lawyer to treat all the issues that I deal with as if I was dealing with a client, never my own personal circumstances. So uh, I used to be a tax lawyer, by the way, nothing at all to do with family caregiving unless you include um, uh, family rollovers. But it was always something that was an academic exercise in the sense of something that I would or should do for clients and now in my position in charge of advocacy to get social policy and public policy changes to help all of us as we deal with things like caregiving. But of course, the issue of caregiving is something that touch all of us. Every family is going to be affected. And so in my own case, my mother recently has had to deal with a number of issues, including first with macular degeneration, and last year this time fell and hurt her back, got a compression uh, fracture in her vertebrae, and then the entire sort of cascade of issues that families have to deal with um, came into play. Now, in that case, because of my work, I guess, it gave me a bit of insight into what I needed to get done. But I have to tell you that um, for average families, this is something that is not very rare. It will happen in your own families in one way or another. Thankfully, um, her case is not uh, unduly serious. You know, there's no fatality involved here, thank God. But it is the kind of challenge that could make the difference between being able to live independently or having to to get home care or go into care. And that's the kind of thing that I think we need to realize is going to happen more and more as all of us age, but importantly for families uh, who both are looking after their children and now having to look after their parents as well. So it is something that I have now direct interest and personal experience in, not meaning to... to to have it in my life, but it is certainly something that puts real, um, you know, flesh and blood on some of the sometimes seemingly academic uh, policy pronouncements that we might otherwise come up with. (laughs) Very good. Jeff, please tell us more about your personal background as a privacy specialist and about any experience you have with family caregiving. Right. I mean, I'll start with the first one. Uh, I've been uh, involved in the information services group at the hospital since uh, 2002. My background prior to that is actually not in healthcare at all. Um, I have a, a diverse background that includes things as, as diversified as uh, uh, some new media work, uh, interactive media work through the 90s. Um, but I'm an economist by training. Uh, and so in some sense, uh, in the early 2000s, I Return to my roots as a, if you will, I guess a business manager of sorts, um, because uh, my interest at that time was uh, to come back to uh, a more of a corporate focus than I had experienced for over the past 15 years prior to that. Um, coming to the hospital was very interesting uh, because, again, it's one of those places, uh, perhaps like banking or perhaps even uh, there's other examples 
where um, you may be familiar with consuming the services of that provider from uh, a public perspective. That is, uh, you know, for better or worse, we're all um, uh, consumers of hospital services at one time or another, either directly or indirectly. But this, of course, was the, my first experience going, sort of going behind the screen, if you will, um, which I've done before, uh, interestingly enough, um, just as a side, uh, in, in the sort of the media space, um, nothing changes your impression of film or television um, as when you start to make it as opposed to just consume it. And it does, it forever changes your perspective um, in a good way, uh, usually, on the nature of the product that's uh, produced or delivered and uh, versus simply being a consumer of it. And um, as I think of it here, I, I guess I've had the same experience here from the start. That is, is once you um, become uh, uh, someone who's working in healthcare, as opposed to simply consuming healthcare sor uh, resources or, or uh, services, um, you get a slightly different impression, perhaps, than what you might have as a, as a, a member of the public. Exactly. Now, because time's a bit short, I'm going to stop you there because. Mm. I have a couple more questions, but we can get back to those things later on. Sure. So, so, Susan, question for you. Given the way things are in healthcare generally, who, if anyone, do you think currently owns the electronic medical record of us as individuals? And why do you think the question of ownership is important? Susan? Well, you know, we, I think we're in a bit of a transition point where we're moving from the state in which individuals used to just bow down to the medical gods and said, okay, whatever you say, doctor, I'll, I'm good with that. And where we're going is a place where people are saying, wait a minute, I need to clearly understand what is happening to me and what my choices are. So... Now, tell me what's going on with my body, right? And in order for individuals to have that conversation, they both have to have as of right access to their medical record, and more importantly than access to it, uh, ownership is important, of course, but access is more important, and intelligible access. I recently got, uh, because I asked for the records of a certain test for my mother, I could not make head or tail out of it. And the nurse who handed it over also couldn't explain why it was important. And I did not have access to the specialist at that moment. And so <clears throat> those several pages of papers meant nothing to me. So, yes, I, my, I had my mother's medical record in my hands, but it made no sense to me and was of no use to me. So, therefore, in terms of talking about medical records, it's not nearly as important who actually owns it as who can access it usefully. And now, I we're going that, to, Susan, I'm going to stop you there just because of time, but we're going to go back to that because it's a key, key question. So, Jeff, just let me ask you this one. In the way things are, hospital healthcare, who currently owns the electronic medical record? Right. Well, the, in this province, as in many provinces in Canada, again, if we look to the law for guidance, uh, certainly we operate under the Personal Health Information Protection Act. And what it states uh, is that the patient, of course, owns the information, but the record is in uh, the custody and control uh, of the, the healthcare provider. We usually uh, discuss ownership in terms of those two terms. That is, 
uh, I have ownership over the record if indeed I have possession of it, custody, but I also have control over its disposition. The the, the nearest analog is, is usually in the private practice space. Uh, if a doctor runs a practice uh, over the course of their profession, uh, they are free, as I understand it anyways, and I'm not a lawyer, I'll leave that to this determination of lawyers, but I understand that they're free to uh, sell uh, or transfer the records to another party who then similarly takes over custody and control of those records. That, that's a pretty good indication, if you will, I think, at least in law, uh, of who owns the record. Again, notwithstanding the fact that the it's very clear in law uh, that the patient uh, owns, has right of access and control over the information in the record. Um, but between those two points of view uh, becomes some of the interesting topics I think that we're going to probably talk about today. Right on. And that is the cue for me to do what I have to do, which is to take the short break. This is where we pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atterley, and my guests are Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for real change in your life? Deep down inside you is a magnificent being just looking to break free. Tune in to Manifesting Abundance with Deborah Loran and Jim Del Vecchio. Most people need to make some minor adjustments in attitude and behavior to achieve alignment with their inner being. Jim and Deborah will help outline these changes and give you the steps you need to create some major improvements in your life. Listen for Manifesting Abundance Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. Our topic is who should own our electronic medical records? Let's talk about ownership of medical records and the benefits for family caregivers and the family members they're caring for. Susan, for a complex record keeping system such as electronic medical records, what does ownership really mean? 
I think the reality for individuals who are not going to worry and parse the, the, the legal ownership question is what can it help me do to either look after myself or look, that, look after a loved one? And it and oftentimes when we're talking about complex conditions with multiple experts that you have to talk to, it's the transferring of the information and the other treatments and diagnoses that you have that average individuals who are themselves not medical, uh, medically trained cannot really translate well. You can just imagine people trying to explain what it is that their doctor last told them. And so I think the importance for a family and for people who are, uh, who are themselves trying to work with the healthcare system is to, first of all, have access to their own medical records in a readily accessible and, I guess, universally accessible fashion so that they can actually uh, navigate the medical system uh, for themselves. I think the key to this is both to have accurate records and to have comprehensive records that are available to all their uh, practitioners. Right. Jeff, it's the same question for you, but talking about the hospital environment. So it's a time when patients are being discharged earlier and earlier to community-based care. What does ownership of the electronic medical record really mean? Well, I think there's a couple of things there, and Susan started to mention a couple of them. I mean, the first one is, in, indeed, I would agree that uh, notwithstanding ownership from a legal perspective, um, the question is, have you got a copy of your record? Now, uh, right now, hospitals, uh, and as we've been doing for decades, you know, routinely provide, uh, if you will, paper copies of the, quote, the entire chart. Uh, to patients on request or their substitutes on request. Um, you know, in a, uh, uh, in a in a silly way, you could come in every day of the week if you wanted to and get today's version of the record. Uh, whether you were charged for it or not, you would you would you know duly get a, a copy of the of the record as it stands uh, on the on the day, if you will. The innovation, of course, these days is that uh, that's an inefficient way of providing access to the records for purpose. Uh, we can never know what every individual's purpose is for obtaining those records. They could be for care purposes. They could be for other purposes. So we, Sunnybrook in particular, and many others in North America have gone ahead and said, well, look, let's put those records online for the patient's personal use. Uh, and uh, again, those services typically are there uh, without regard to what the use is uh, to, from the patient's point of view. That is, if you apply for something like MyChart in our hospital or other um, online provider portals of this type, um, you're not asked for the reason for use because we're not actually allowed to ask for that reason um, by law. You're, you're your, you have a right of access for your personal use, notwithstanding what, whatever purposes you, you want to put that to. The, the question thereafter is an interesting one, though, and that goes to the accuracy issue. Uh, if you think about it, once those papers, if you will, uh, historically leave our, our possession, that is our, our custody and control, uh, ownership indeed is transferred to uh, the person to whom they're given. So you walk away with that sheaf of papers. Um, the hospital doesn't know what you're doing with those, and, and we can't be accountable for what happens to them thereafter. Sometimes, of course, we we would be accountable for the 
accuracy or completeness of those records after the fact because they would be used for legal representation purposes, right? And we would be asked to attest to the accuracy or authenticity of it. One of the one of the big advantages, uh, potentially at least, for electronic records is this uh, sort of you know um, authentication type of mechanism that says, well, look, you know, we release to you uh, a digital copy of this record. Those records can be digitally signed, that is, uh, so that they can't be tampered with, for example, whereas perhaps, a, you know, a paper copy uh, could go through some changes or be photocopied elements of could be left off of it with no way of, of knowing whether something's been added or taken away. Those those types of accuracy concepts are actually well understood in um, other markets like finance, for example, where it would do no good for you to you know, uh, believe that you have $10 in the bank on Monday and then come back on Tuesday and say, oh, well, uh, actually, uh, we made a mistake. It was only eight and then come back the next day and it's only six. They have ways of uh, ensuring that there's a, a, a consistency, if you will, an accuracy to the information and that it can't that information can't be tampered with. Uh, either in the custody of of the institution itself or or possibly thereafter um, so this is that 's all good news i think and and really from the, from an access point of view i, I can 't say that there 's anything uh, negative per se about providing people with greater access whether it 's electronic or otherwise to their their own information their own personal health information that 's the whole that 's the whole idea. Right. Now, Susan, over to you on this one. But for both of you, this is for the question that's coming up for Susan and after that for Jeff. I want to focus on seriously, serious, medically incurable illnesses. Those are where my erstwhile profession offers no cure, where the illnesses are serious and more and more family caregiving is important. So, Susan please, what are the benefits that electronic medical records bring or should bring to family caregivers caring for a family member with medically incurable condition? I think the important thing of all of these records, quite apart from their ownership and accountability, is their usefulness to the people using them. Uh, here we're talking about people who, by definition, are not medically trained, and they're people who need to access these medical records in order to make use of them for caring for their loved ones. And so they need to have some kind of interpretation to make them intelligible. And so that would be a benefit if they could find out by looking at their records that these are issues that they have to work with. And and the records, I think, are never an end in themselves, but could be a tool. They could be if they are interactive, for example, with the care, uh, care providers. For example, if, uh, you know, the blood count or, you know, uh, other um, uh, symptoms and other things can be recorded and sent electronically to uh, a medical professional, and they got an answer back that said, well, you know, those numbers are going down too dramatically, therefore you must do X or Y. And I think that's where we have to start looking at records as not a goal in themselves, but as an important tool for helping people look after people, at, uh, their, their family members at home. Right. Jeff, same question uh, relating to medically incurable illnesses, but in respect for in respect of people who are receiving care in a hospital or other healthcare facility. Benefits of electronic medical records then? Right. Well, I mean, the uh, again, the timeliness of access is, is probably the number one 
if not the convenience of it, but I'd, I'd almost use those interchangeably. That is, you can imagine a uh, family who's um, on watch, if you will, with a loved one who's in hospital, possibly um, going through some type of uh, end-of-life care or palliative care, possibly, um, and they might have the same tools that the doctors have available to them increasingly. That is, they may be standing there with, for example, an iPad or some type of tablet or even a, a smartphone and be able to see test results, literally in our hospital at least, um, through my chart, um, simultaneously as those, re those results are available to the doctor. Um, the, the, the question that was asked before though, which the, and the interesting part of it to me was, you know, the, the kind of the so what aspect of it, that is as well, what may be more important is the context or interpretation of the information. This, currently, of course, is lacking in, in these types of records. Uh, the record is uh, just is what it is, in fact, and, and f to be honest with you, we, we supply it that way as well. That is, the record is supplied as is uh, at the moment in which it's, you know, at the moment in which it's published, not dissimilar from the, pap the paper record. You will get whatever's on file that day with the explanations that are included in it, but but no more. Uh, I will point out that it is a legal responsibility of a hospital or any any health information custodian in the province. It could be your family doctor, it could be your dentist, uh, to not only make the record available, but to where it's they they call it reasonably practical to make uh, you know provide an explanation of any term uh, that's used in the record. That may be fairly thin uh, advice versus what we're talking about here, but I think it is. It is notable that that's, you know, the interpretation of the record is not currently something that's uh, added into uh, into the record because, again, it depends on the answer would depend on the question. That is the context in which the record is being used. Right now, it's my impression, at least, that we can imagine all of the follow-on contexts for the use of the record. But again, they're possibly as diverse as, as the as the users of those records are themselves. Now, what you're both saying is uh, emphasizing is the question of how the record is understood by patients and family caregivers, given the immense technicality of some of the tests, maybe all of the tests that um, are done, and some of the language that professionals use. And what I think you're both saying is that question of broad understandability is one that isn't yet addressed to the level that you, I think, are saying you would like to see it addressed. Now, can I just ask you very quickly to say, if I've understood you right in the way I've interpreted that back to you? First of all, Susan, have I got it right, do you think? Well, uh, absolutely. That becomes, looms large in my mind, as much more important to people. They need to understand what these records mean, and I, they need to know, well, if the numbers are going up or down, how much, how quickly up or down is meaningful. Right? Yeah. And I think that that's where, other, without that context, people will draw the wrong conclusions and actually do more harm than good by having access to technical information they don't understand. Right. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, so this is interesting. It brings us back to the original question. That is, is so if, if, that, if we agree that that may be the case right now, that is the record as created is lacking in, let's call it, um, interpretive use for for the public, or at least for the the, the patient and their family. You would ask the question, well, wh how could that be? Why is that the case? 
Well, the case, of course, is because the record indeed was originally created not for the patient's use. It was created by the owner of the record for care provision purposes from their perspective, that is by clinicians or physicians who are professionals. And indeed, probably without thinking about it, you would know better than I would, Gordon, uh, can look at that page of numbers, if you will, and draw uh, you know, many inferences, if you will, and I'll use that term carefully there because, uh, indeed, uh, it, it may not be exactly clear as to what the numbers mean. The, the record, in that sense, is, is composed of not only facts and figures, but often also, you know, notes, if you will, letters, letters from the doctor, if you will, that sum up a, a course of treatment or whatnot. Clearly, those are, are ought to be as clear as possible for the purposes of, of the patient being able to know what to do next. It, it Jeff, I'm going to stop you there because I'm afraid once more it's the tyranny of time. Oh, but we'll, we'll be coming back to those challenges because I think they're, they, they, you've both identified they're fundamental. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel or listen on demand to our archived shows. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. Our topic is Who Should Own Our Electronic Medical Records? Now, we've been hearing about some of the challenges that are associated with electronic medical records as they, as they currently are. And this, the challenge is for not only family caregivers, but also their family members and with various types of illnesses as well. So one of the challenges 
uh, that Susan and Jeff have emphasized is this question of what do they mean? How intelligible, how understandable they are. So Susan, um, I'd like you to talk more about the way in which you think that challenge of intelligibility should be met. Susan? Well, you know, uh, none of us who are family caregivers really intend to become, you know, mini doctors. All we really need to know is, is this change in these numbers or lab tests meaningful? Is it positive? Is it negative? Do I have to do something? Uh, is it dangerous? These are the kinds of questions that uh, average people will will have about their own or, or loved one's condition. So the, the transfer of the medical record must be accompanied by something that answers those questions. So, you know, I, I recall a, a test that my mother was, uh, had done recently. I mean, I know the difference between blood pressure differences, and that's something that's fairly common knowledge now, but th- this was something else. And I had no idea whether the, the differences were meaningful. And so somewhere as part of the package of information to do, delivery, there has to be something that says, okay, don't worry about this. It's a change, but it's uh, in terms of the general rules of thumb that we use, this is not a meaningful change or whatever. And I, I think that can be done. I recognize the fact that trying to translate, you know, 10 years of medical training into a judgment about whether or not a test is meaningful is going to be quite a challenge. But I think it's a challenge that if it's unmet, is going to lead to dangerous other assumptions. And that's where the medical system needs to at least put some efforts there to prevent disasters later. Thank you. Jeff, same question. This challenge of understandability, how do you see it being responded to? I guess there's two comments I'd make. The first one is that uh, certainly we're trying to take some steps towards that with our personal health record right now. That is, we recognize fully that it's, you know, it's a service uh, exclusively designed for the benefit, uh, the the original benefit of the person to whom the information pertains, the patient. It's for their personal use and to then share as they see fit with other caregivers or other members of their own uh, circle or community. Um, in order to do that, um, the you know the, the default reaction, at least in the information services community, if you will, who who create these types of electronic uh, services or tools, is to simply treat the patient or their uh, their family as as a you know as the consumer, and design services that are that are not as you would in any other business, if you will, or service delivery uh, channel to that suits what they need. So the, the first objective question is, is, do we actually understand uh, what the patient wants or what they're doing with it? So this just contrasts again with the earlier the part of the discussion that said, well, you know, traditionally when we hand over these records, we have no idea what people are doing. With them. We can imagine what they're doing with them, or indeed we hope that they're reading them. Uh, they may be using them in a court of law. They may be using them at a bedside in the future or, or whatever. But there wasn't a lot of consideration given to that. It was a very passive exercise. I think with the uh, the advent of electronic records, there is this element of design that comes to the device itself, the service itself. You wouldn't think about designing uh, a paper records release process. I mean, you would design the process, but not the, the records themselves. In this case, there's a whole reformatting exercise. There's a the, the means of consumption, which is electronic on a small screen, et cetera, means you have to rethink what the service is that you're actually delivering. So including patients in that is, is, is obviously job number one. 
The the other comment though on that one again is from strictly from once you get into that exercise, the the very second, if not the first question you would ask is, well, what's the question? That is, um, it's you know uh, every every medium. Uh, that has a certain amount of screen space or whatever, and inevitably all of these show up on a screen somewhere. The, the question becomes is, well, what's most important? And the answer, I think, in the context we're talking about is, well, it's what's most important to that individual for their purposes. So designing one size to fit all is probably, uh, you know, not a great game to play there. So immediately then the design exercise becomes a, a different type of one, which has been experienced in a lot of other markets, where perhaps what the issue is is to allow patients to literally construct their own record um, from source, obviously, from the, the, the stuff of the hospital's record or their family doctor's record or whatnot, but for their own purposes to, um, you know, focus on what's most important for them. Right. Uh, I, Jeff, I'm just going to have to stop you there because, once again, it's the timing problem because we have two more questions ahead of go us. Go right ahead, please. <laughs> right. Both of which uh, require interpretation from you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, to Susan, um, Hippocratic Oath is talked about a lot. Um, it was um, to do with privacy, among other things. Um, one of the modern interpretations on the Hippocratic Oath's definition of privacy is that it calls on a physician to respect the privacy of my patients for their problems are not disclosed to me that the world may know. Now, Susan, how appropriate is this stipulation in the world of electronic medical records considered from the perspective of family caregivers? Now, why I'm raising that is that there have been times and there still are times where there's a reluctance on the part of healthcare um, because of some interpretations that it really isn't right for all this information to flow to the family caregiver. Susan, what do you think? It's, it's a very interesting question. We always assume that people want to respect their own privacy and hang on to it uh, desperately. And so we asked a question not long ago of our members and said, you know, what do you think about online uh, medical records? Are you worried about that? Do you worry about your privacy? And it might surprise you to know that our members, who are by and large uh, a little bit on the older side, you would think that they would be much more skeptical of online access to their medical records. They instead said, yes, absolutely. We want it online. We want to have access to it to self. We want our doctor to in interact with us. And we want our family care circle to have access to those records. There were only 20% who said, no, no, uh, medical records should never be online. So first of all, I think that the tolerance for having medical records in electronic form with the potential that it could leak out someplace is, is much greater than we might expect. The second thing that's important about that is that it's an issue of consent. You know, they need to be given the opportunity to consent to having their uh, records um, uh, given out beyond uh, themselves and, and shared with their care circle or even others. Um, but 
in that consent, there must be informed consent. So, for example, in Europe, in Denmark, where it's fairly universal acceptance and adoption of uh, electronic records, they also have a law that prohibits employers from not hiring you because of your medical condition or insurance and so on. Whereas here in North America, we haven't got that legal protection yet. So it's, we do have to be careful about maintaining some privacy around our records. Right. Now, I'm going to stop you there because there's something else that I want to chase up with, um, with Jeff. Um, now, what many people say is, yes, sure, there'll be losses of privacy of the kind of things that you know, Susan was referring to, but those losses will be well compensated for by the gain in healthcare's efficiency. Um, how, how appropriate do you think that view is? Well, I guess uh, to be uh, on the one hand, it might be an empirical question too. Is I'm, I, I'm not sure whether they ever are compensated or not. You'd, you'd, you know, you would start with an individual who, you know, unfortunately may have gone through a situation like that and ask them. Some of them may say, uh, you know, oh, absolutely, you know, it was worth it. Or some some may say it not. I mean, there'll, there'll be a spectrum of of uh, results that are either balanced or imbalanced. Uh, you might imagine. If we're talking on the level of you know, the, an entire community, if you will. I mean, indeed, this is why uh, we have laws uh, that obligate, uh, back to the custodian aspect, those that have the custody and control of the records to maintain them in a good order, whether they're being collected, used, the information in them is being collected, used, or disclosed. Um, so the, you know, the, 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 risk, the risk of that or whether there's a net gain or loss uh, is is always going to be in the eye of the beholder. Uh, whether it's whether that's appropriate becomes an ethical and a legal question. Um, indeed, I'm sure you could find some folks who are willing to make the trade-off. Uh, other folks who would say, "Well, gosh, that's not a fair trade-off at all. Why can't I have both safe access to medical records or, or collection, use, and disclosure, um, and and also receive the care that I want without without no, any trade-off?" This, of course, is the Commissioner's position when she talks about a sort of a, a, a win-win situation that you should not have to trade off privacy for access to services, if you will, and this is enshrined in law. In 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 practical situations, the the answer is as well. Um, we now have to deal with individual transactions. That is, many people may need to know what's in your record. And those okay. folks are going to come and go. And so the more of those folks you add in, the riskier inherently becomes the, the, the overall security of those records. On that point, I'm going to call a break again because it's that time. And we'll come back to one or two of those issues in the final segment. Now, this is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP. 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. We're coming back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Susan Eng and Jeff Curtis. Our topic is who should own our electronic medical records. So let's talk about the ways to increase help for family caregivers and their family members uh, with the various challenges we've been talking about. So, Susan, starting with you, what do you want to do and what do you want to see done to increase help for family caregivers and the family members that they're caring for? I'd like to make sure that when we introduce a new technology, such as electronic medical records, that we're not just uh, making electronic things that are in, on paper. I mean, that would be a simple thing. I think that the, the uh, hope of electronic medical records is that they actually allow uh, a family member who's a layperson, uh, medically speaking, to better care for their loved one at home and interact with the medical system so that they can get the guidance and support that they need in order to fulfill uh, their obligations. And I think that we've got a long way to go before we can actually expect that of uh, the current state of medical records. Right. Jeff, what do you want to see done to increase help for family caregivers and the family members in the circumstances we're talking about, the challenges we've been discussing? Jeff? Right. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things I can think of. I mean, the first one, uh, I guess, builds on the points that we've been making. That is, you know, where we're starting from is a condition where the record exists uh, historically primarily for the benefit uh, of the care of the institutional care provider. Those records are created for the purposes of, appropriately, I think, uh, documenting uh, the care that's uh, that's been provided uh, uh, across a team that may consist of, you know, uh, uh, dozens of people by the end of a, 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 an inpatient stay, at least in a hospital. Clearly, these days, though, the community is providing more and more of those uh, care, uh, more more of the care, I guess, that than was traditionally provided in by an institution. So the the objective question there is: Is the record appropriate for the for the purposes? And the answer, I I, I guess, is. Uh, you know, a firm kind of. 
That is, uh, many of those community resources could make use, indeed, right now of institutional records to the point with better explanation of what's in the record as it is. So that would be a, adding a layer on top. But I think it begs the question that, you know, are we, are we now at a juncture where the record itself needs to be redesigned for purpose? knowing that, uh, you know, uh, X percent of the consumption of that record will occur outside of the institution in which it's created. So this uh, is uh, healthcare now running into, again, an issue that's uh, possibly been run into in other, other marketplaces where, um, you know, the, 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 there needs to be some transparency, if not some um, uh, sharing of interests in what's actually written down, not just how it's interpreted after the fact. So the actual recording, I mean, it's interesting, I always say that the Privacy Act does not tell you what to put in the record. That's governed by lots of other legislation that, that governs how healthcare professionals, what they ought to be recording when they lay on hands. Um, possibly some return to those intentions uh, then with uh, a you know, requisite amount of privacy and security overlay on it is where we need to go. That's, you're not going to get that from the privacy uh, uh, people necessarily. What you're going to do is get that from doctors. You're going to get that from care providers, including in the community, who suddenly have a voice uh, and uh, to say what goes into the record in the first place. Right. Susan, what's your message about electronic medical records for family caregivers caring for family members with the medically incurable challenges when the family member is living at home? What's your message for them? I think that when we're talking about the incurable situation, you are by definition no longer actively interacting with medical professionals in many ways. And so the family needs the support to operate in a somewhat non-medical way. And the tool for that interaction is the electronic medical record, which can also be a tool to deliver some you know, health literacy, give people an idea of what's happening in their lives, what they can expect, what they should do next. And it's that kind of, kind of dynamic role that records, electronic records can play. They're not doing so at the moment. And I think it's very true what Jeff says, that you have to create and design the records so that they can fulfill this really important role. Medical conditions are becoming more and more complex today, and the gap between the, uh, the medical professional and specialist and the medical practitioners that are asked to help us through that journey have they tend to be on a need-to-know basis, and they don't see the whole picture. So there very much is a need for guidance, context, and interpretation. Right. Jeff, it's same question, message about electronic medical records for family caregivers, but it's when the family members are receiving care in a hospital, but again for the medically incurable illnesses. So what's your message, please? Uh, I, I have to confess, I wish I knew more about those particular situations. Uh, uh, I think, uh, as a, again, taking a, a half a step back as a, as a design exercise, if, what we're, if the question we're asking is, you know, what is, what is most appropriate to be recorded or uh, in consumption uh, for, uh, for these caregivers once the patient reaches a certain stage of, of, of their illness? Um, the, the answer is out there. It needs to be discovered. 
based on the good knowledge and judgment, I believe, at least of the of the care providers that are in the institution, uh, and, and then and then outwards from there into the community. It's about you know, in that sense, bringing the wisdom uh, to the page, if you will, whether it's an electronic page or a paper page. Um, you know, we're not talking about accounting records here. Uh, we're not talking about your tax records. We're talking about something that, to the earlier point, is, you know, can be highly interpretive, or indeed, even if it's not seen that way originally, will inevitably be interpreted. It's uh, it's not a it's not something where there's a it's like a balance sheet, in other words. So it has to be um, a document or a, a set of records that are uh, essentially more like tools, if you will, than than recordings. And to the extent that we can build those tools, uh, they will inevitably, I think, be more helpful than just a static information on a page, right? Right. Now, I'm just going to comment back to you in this way that I'm hearing through this show um, more and more of the idea that the family caregiver, in many circumstances, should be seen by the healthcare system as a member of the healthcare team. And particularly in the situations we've just been talking about, the medically incurable, which um, is growing more and more. We're getting older as a population. And although uh, more and more progress is being made in curing illnesses, the fact is that there are many, many of them that are not curable. So therefore, this whole question of... Uh, the role of the family caregiver becomes more and more important. And once we're starting to think about, as I believe people now are, the idea of the family caregiver as a member of the healthcare team, then the question of the electronic medical records and their intelligibility to that particular member of the healthcare team becomes important, as does the question of the two-way discussion that I think you were both saying, but Susan was certainly talking about, which is, uh, I want to ask some questions. I'm the family caregiver. Please tell me. And then the doctor may come back and say, in effect, what are changes have you noticed in the person you're looking after? So I think that's a very important sort of bridging between the electronics and the care, which I think you both made very effectively. Now, I'm going to close by saying thank you to both of you, Susan and Jeff. What you've talked about is, I think, most informative. I think will be very helpful to family caregivers. And if I can say to you, all success to you, continuing success to you in your work. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about the Patients Association of Canada, families and family caregivers. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 